Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 709 of the podcast and it is Sunday the 20th of August 2023 as I record this. In today's show, I'm talking to Joe Solari about building a business for the long term, how to focus on cash flow and profit, not just sales, the mindset shift you need if you want a successful author business, why selling direct needs to be part of your plan at some point, how the industry is shifting, and how Joe is taking over the 20 Books Vegas conference from next year, pivoting away from the 20 Books brand, and what that means. So I really enjoyed our conversation because so much of what Joe says makes sense to me. And many of you keep asking about whether I am doing a course or something on Shopify, and that will no doubt come up again after this. But no, I am not. <laughs> it's it's one of those things that, yeah, I just don't want to do tech support for Shopify. <laughs> but I have linked to my interviews as well as other people's courses at thecreativepen.com forward slash sell direct resources, thecreativepen.com forward slash sell direct resources links in the show notes so check out everything there if you want more on selling direct and of course check out joe's books and podcasts too so that's coming up in the interview section so in publishing and book marketing things so first of all kobo's all you can read subscription kobo plus has expanded to audiobooks in australia and new zealand so i'm in kobo plus it is a non-exclusive subscription program so yeah which means you can be in it and available uh, and also still publish everywhere else wow who knew <laughs> So on industry information, I was listening this week to a recorded session from Thriller Fest, which is an amazing conference in the USA, in New York, actually, every year. I've been um, four or five times over the last decade. And yeah, it's, it's really good. I was listening to one of the sessions, uh, a report about the publishing environment, uh, which I've heard from the speaker Peter Hildick Smith before, and they kind of do it every year. Now, um, you can buy the recording. I'll give you the link to that in a minute. But I wanted to read a few quotes from it. Uh, he said, 2023 feels different. We're kind of in an inflection point. It's time for some fundamental innovation. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I've been talking about how different we are, the different times we are in. So he goes on to explain some of this. He says, in the US, physical stores are now 26% of the book sales market. And of course, that used to be the primary book sales market was book stores, physical bookstores. And this is obviously mainly affecting trade publishing because that has been the main route to market. And also with physical stores, he said, Barnes & Noble, is behaving differently too. Backlist sales are as much as 70% of major publisher sales right now, 70. And backlist, if you don't know, so frontlist is this is the latest book by whoever. And backlist is all the other books 
that are not the latest book. <laughs> so it, it kind of makes sense. Why shouldn't the backlist be 70% of sales? But that is quite different for publishers as well. Uh, he also mentioned James Daunt's talk and James Daunt runs Barnes & Noble. Uh, James Daunt's talk at the US Book Show and he basically says he likes the backlist. He does not like promoting new books. And he says this is too risky and we don't like returns. And James Daunt talked about 6% returns is their goal and that used to be up 20-30%. Um, so what that means is that these older books which have more of a reputation are more likely to sell well in a bookstore than a brand new book for a brand new author with no backlist. <laughs> and this is really turning things on its head but this is actually the business model that we've been running as indies for, for years. I also like Peter talked about activist authors self-published authors who are putting a lot more of their own money into it. We're seeing a lot more income growth of the self-published sector, while traditionally published authors on a medium median income basis are slightly down. He also talked about, uh, and I'll come back to this activist author thing, uh, he said three things drive book sales. Discovery, am I aware of this author or this book? Demand, do I care? when I become aware and distribution is it available where and when I want to buy it and in the format I want and of course distribution now um, given that the sales in physical bookstores are at 26% most of that distribution is online and we have as much access to that as, as anybody else um, discovery and demand are where the challenge are for all of us <laughs> for sure <laughs> getting people to be actually aware of us and then actually hoping that they care enough to buy the book. <laughs> and that has a lot to do with whether the book itself is interesting to them, but also um, their relationship with the author. And when I say relationship, obviously, that doesn't mean you've met them and you know them. Uh, it could be the way I'm speaking to you now. You feel like you know me. Many of you do know me better <laughs> than many of my friends and family in real life, because you've been listening to me uh, for uh, every week for years. And so you do actually know me. So we have some kind of relationship. And uh, this is why, well, this is why I started this show. It's not why I continue it, I guess, was well, one of the reasons. But yeah, I mean, I really enjoy what I do um, with the podcast in terms of learning all the stuff I do and sharing it with you. But it is really interesting that they um, were talking about this. He, Peter says the number one reason people buy books is the author. Uh, he said, particularly in fiction, when you have a fan, they tend to be very loyal, very motivated to stick with you. Very different to nonfiction, where the topic is what people go for. It's like we want to learn. I want to learn that thing. Although there are brand name authors in um, nonfiction too, and many of you have several of my books as Joanna Penn. Uh, then he also talks about author equity, which is based on platform, how many people you can reach. Um, and he's, he kind of ended by saying, by and large, it's a completely different world out there and people need to wake up and change. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. Uh, so coming back to things, yeah, backlist is important. So plan to write lots of books if you want a career as an author. Now, I know that's hard to hear if you're just starting out. And of course, if you're writing your first book, second book, third book, then no worries. You still need to concentrate on improving your craft. And of course, we all improve our craft. But if you get the bug for writing books, and obviously I have the bug, many of you already have the bug, if you get, get it and you're like, I really love doing this, I just can't help myself, 
And you keep writing and the years pass and suddenly you do have a backlist. Like right now I have over 40 books and uh, many authors have many more than me. (laughs) So if you think long term and you just keep trucking and you keep learning and you keep writing and you keep publishing, you do end up with a backlist. Trust me. Also, I love the term activist author that he mentioned. Now, I I like this because I'm also, um, I don't talk about it much, but I do a lot of investing. Uh, I, I read a lot of the financial press, this kind of thing. This is not a financial show, so I don't talk about it much. But the the term activist investor, uh, I like too. It's kind of someone who buys a stake in order to actively change the way the business is run in order to enhance the value of that company. Um, So I kind of think this term activist author could be related in that way to someone who's like, right, I'm going to be actively involved in my investment in order to enhance the value of my asset. And I, I just kind of love that. I don't think that's the term he kind of meant it as. Maybe he did. But yeah, I really like that. So that's the question for you today. How can we be even more like an activist as regards to our author career? And whether or not you want to work with traditional publishing, um, a lot of traditional publishers go to Thrillerfest and people would have got the report that Peter produced. Um, So regardless of how you publish, if you are actively taking an interest in building your backlist and building your relationship with your readers, it's going to go better however you publish. So that was interesting. There are tons more talks in Craftfest and Thrillerfest. I also enjoyed J.D. Barker's talk about his career shaped out. And you probably listened to J.D. on Writers Inc. He's been on the show before. Uh, you can buy access to these talks so you can um, get the MP3s at thrillerfest.com forward slash audio. So thrillerfest.com forward slash audio. And I asked for permission to share that with you. It's not just for people who are members of the ITW, the International Thriller Writers. And actually, even if you don't write thrillers, there are tons of things you might be interested in because it's a, it is a broad niche thriller. But also there's loads of talks on wider craft. So, for example, there are two sessions by Jeffrey Diva on craft, which I've got lined up and a whole load of other talks. So definitely have a look at that. Thrillerfest.com forward slash audio. You can buy bundles, which is what I've done. And it also has reminded me of how much I have enjoyed Thrillerfest over the years. It is not a cheap conference. It is an investment. It's one of those investments in your career, if, especially if you write thrillers um, or crime or you're in that kind of... And, and also Supernatural. There's quite a lot of us kind of on the edge of thriller slash horror slash supernatural paranormal kind of thing. But um, I first attended in 2012. I've been back several times, but I haven't been since for well obviously pre-pandemic um but even then I think it was 2017 maybe the last time so I've booked it uh I will be at Thriller Fest in 2024 hopefully I'll be on some panels so maybe do some speaking I don't know I've I've said I would so we will we will see but I will be there um so yeah Thriller Fest 2024 if you're interested but as I said it is an investment so getting those <laughs> audios is definitely the starting point I also wanted to mention uh, last week I talked about the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, having an upcoming antitrust case against Amazon, which we we all need to keep an eye on. (laughs) Of course, I'll report back to you. Um, But more details this week as the Authors Guild, along with the American Booksellers Association and the Open Markets Institute, sent a letter, a pretty long letter with lots of footnotes uh, to the FTC. It is full of very interesting things. I'll link to it in the show notes. Just a couple of 
things. I mean, it's, it's a really long letter. It goes into details on how it thinks Amazon controls book selling in the USA, basically saying that the free exchange of ideas is impeded and warped by opaque algorithms and sales practices controlled by Amazon, premised on which publisher and or author is willing and able to pay the highest extortionary tax to get their books promoted on Amazon's website, which of course is um, Amazon marketing services. That's what they're talking about, as well as the discounts, that kind of thing. Now, let's be clear, as with the usage of AI tools, this is one of these occasions where we are allowed to have conflicting feelings. You can love Amazon and be a happy customer, a happy shareholder, as I am, and believe they have revolutionised the market for authors and enable many of us to make a living online. I am absolutely an Amazon fan. Do not think any anyway otherwise um i make good money from amazon every month i do use amazon ads so yeah i'm a fan but you can also think it's gone too far and want to claw back some control <laughs> so you can hold two opinions in your head at the same time it is okay i know we're in this sort of era of polarization but we are allowed to be nuanced and complicated creatives so let's be that <laughs> So yes, I'm a fan. Plus, I still think we need a bit of change. Uh, anyway, this letter documents past conduct and how Amazon came to dominate the book selling market. Uh, and this is really interesting too. Again, it's such a long letter. I'm not going to read it. I think you should you should go read it. It's very interesting. But um, yeah, essentially, they revolutionised the market, um, albeit in ways that began to disrupt the business of publishers and authors. And uh, publishers, editors, agents and authors were thrilled when Amazon opens it, opened its doors. And then they talk about some of the practices that have come in since 2007. Um, they do mention a few interesting stats. I'm going to read this. So they said self-published authors are also completely reliant on Amazon. Obviously, I don't agree with that, but many authors are. Um, KDP dominates the industry. Over 1.4 million books are self-published through KDP every year. These self-published books generate 31% of Amazon's ebook sales. So two very interesting stats there. First of all, collectively, we are a massive force in publishing. 31% of Amazon's ebook sales are self-published. Um, that's probably bigger than any single other publisher. But also 1.4 million books are self-published through KDP every year, and that's only going to go up. So yeah, how do you stand out? in 1.4 million books. The only way you can do that is, as I always say, doubling down on being human, connecting with other humans and essentially, yeah, writing the books that become, I think it, it is easier to connect over the long term. So if you're thinking long term, you're thinking backlist, that really helps because books find their market, right? I mean, I'm still, my um, pilgrimage memoir that came out earlier this year, I'm selling multiple of those hardbacks every single day at the moment through my Shopify store. And it's because it's uh, people who want to go on pilgrimage know they do. So there is a good SEO title, but it is a very personal book and that makes a difference too. So I, I'm not going to compete against Colleen Hoover for selling, <laughs> selling the most books, but I can still make a living in my tiny little corner of the internet. And thank you to many of you, obviously. Uh, but the other, some of the other statistics 
Amazon, this is a quote from the letter, Amazon effectively uses the same model that the railroads used in the 19th century. If you want to get your product to market, you pay the tax and play by their rules. It has the power to act in this manner because it completely dominates almost every aspect of the book market. In the US, its website currently sells more than 50% of all physical book titles in the retail market. 90% of physical books sold online. Remember, this is in the USA um, and more than 80% of all ebooks. So (laughs) this is crazy. For some types of books, Amazon may account for almost 100% of sales. And I'm presuming there they're talking about uh, niches like some areas of romance and um, fantasy, sci-fi, where most authors concentrate only on Amazon. As one literary agent put it, they aren't gaming the system, they own the system. So yeah, I definitely think you need to read this letter. I I I don't I don't think the FTC are going to um kill Amazon. I mean that that's not what they do, but they look at breaking things up and I I still think that Amazon will make changes themselves rather than be forced to by the government. And in the interview with Joe coming up, this is not either or thinking. None of us are saying ditch everything and just sell direct. No, there's what I want you to think and what Joe does as well is to think about how these things might play out, but also just what are the other things you can do for your fans? Um, so you're not competing with the 1.4 million. You're just selling to people who already care about you and that takes time so yeah the point is to think about your options for selling books not just relying on one source or one stream of income i'll just mention one more thing since i did talk about goodreads last week there was a goodreads survey that i thought indicated they might be ditching goodreads but this does say amazon's ability to manipulate sales is further amplified by the fact that it has a dominant position in hosting and editing online reviews both on its website and on Goodreads. So I think this is interesting. And what tends to happen in these situations is companies will offer up certain things to make the case go away. And yeah, I still think that might be one of them. Very interesting times. But as I said, I am still an Amazon fan. I still use Amazon. I publish on Amazon. Uh, But yeah, I don't rely on it (laughs) for all my money. So in personal news, I am still deep into writing my shadow book, although I'm so close to finishing the draft. Uh, It will happen this week. (laughs) Definitely. Then I'm into editing. Now, I've been writing this book on and off for many years. And this time it is definitely coming out. In fact, I am now announcing the title and subtitle and my patrons helped with this with a poll. The title is Writing the Shadow. Turn your inner darkness into words. It is a non-fiction self-help book for authors who want to write in a deeper, more authentic way. And yeah, it's really uh, based on Carl Jung, the psychologist's idea of the shadow. It is the unconscious side of us that we push down based on people telling us how we should behave, what we should think, um, all of that kind of thing. So it's 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 a very it's not just about writing horror for example that actually is not the point um that's one of my things because uh as i write about in the book i was and i mentioned in the interview with michael brent a few weeks ago i was told very early on i was not allowed to think or write dark things so for me part of my shadow is 
is writing darker things. But for you, it might be other things. Like I've also mentioned, it comes up for me around the word lazy. Like for me to be called lazy, I react against very much because I am not lazy. I will not be lazy. And then the problem is when it comes to resting, I really struggle to rest. Um, I work, I'm a workaholic for sure. (laughs) So the things that we react against are triggers, are the things that may be part of our shadow. So I'll be going into this a lot more, but I hope you'll be interested in the book. I am doing a Kickstarter for it. Yes, I will be doing this sort of windowing model. So I will sell it direct. I'll sell it on my Shopify store and then I will sell it elsewhere. Um, It will eventually be on all the stores, but that won't be till 2024. So if you want it in 2023, uh, join my Kickstarter campaign, which will be in mid-October, but the pre-launch page is available now. You can sign up at thecreativepen.com forward slash shadow book, thecreativepen.com forward slash shadow book. And you can also see the cover there. I'll be sharing uh, the bigger version of the cover um, at another point. But yes, essentially the special hardback will also include gold foil and a ribbon and that will not be available outside of the kickstarter and i'm pretty excited because one of my ongoing goals now for my sort of next iteration of my creative life is to make more beautiful books so doing gold foil and a ribbon this will be the first time <laughs> so isn't it funny that we get ridiculously excited about the idea of having like a ribbon in a book <laughs> but I am. I am excited. (laughs) So yeah, because when we sell direct, we can do many more cool things than we can with just the normal print on demand. And as an example, I also want to point you to Sarah Rosette's Murder in the Alps Kickstarter, which is, as this goes out, it um, it is open right now. And she has, yes, she has a new book, in multiple editions, uh, but it also has a printable murder board, mystery in the mail letters. So yes, actually eight envelopes over eight weeks and hand stamped edges. And Sarah is responsible for me ordering my own hand stamp. (laughs) She's done a jigsaw puzzle and more. So this is a great example of being really creative with what you can do selling direct. So if you get just as ridiculously excited as we do around stationery, (laughs) were you one of those kids who used to hang out in the stationery store? I still am. I really, when I get kind of like, oh, I really need a break or I just need, you know, time out, I'll go to a stationery store and a bookstore. (laughs) I don't think I've ever admitted that out loud before, but yes, I love stationery. Yeah, so I will link to it in the show notes or you can just go to Kickstarter and search Murder in the Alps. Uh, That's Sarah Rosette. So, yeah, really imaginative things. Um, And of course, far fewer people are going to buy those than are going to buy Colleen Hoover's novel. But this is how we can make a sustainable living as creatives and do really cool things. Also, one more personal thing. I was on the Travelling Through podcast with Emma Carmichael, and that is out uh, this week. It's one of the rare interviews I did actually in person, as in physically, me and Emma. (laughs) And it was also a first and possibly a last because... It was very strange, but we actually went for a walk along the canal and we did a section that I walk almost every day to Bathhampton from Bath Spa, the city. And we talked about all kinds of things. And what was what's kind of crazy when you record a podcast, obviously, I'm standing here in my recording booth, just me on my own talking to you. And I don't know who's going to listen to this. It's kind of strange. And the same with Emma, it was even more 
strange because we were walking along the towpath, so you get kind of um, sound effects like bicycle bells and our footsteps and things like that. Although I was, it, the mic I was wearing does cut out the wind noise and Emma does so much work to edit those interviews. But it's even more disarming in a way because I'm not in the headspace of doing a podcast because normally I record podcasts here in my office and I'm prepared and I'm like ready, right, we're going to start now. And with Emma, it was like, oh, we're just walking along talking. So I, <laughs> I haven't listened to it again. I'm kind of scared to, but it made for a very different kind of chat. So you can find that on your podcast app, wherever you're listening to this, just search for Travelling Through or links in the show notes. And Travelling Through, Travelling is spelt with two L's in the British spelling. (laughs) So if you search for Travelling, make sure you put two L's in it. So thanks for your emails and comments and tweets or tweets or X's this week. I am back on X. (laughs) I'll mention that in a minute. But um, Adelina says, thank you for sharing valuable insights. Tonya, uh, Tonya's uh, interview, lots of comments, actually. Um, Adelina says, your journey as a children's author and the growth of your Sophie Washington series are truly inspiring. It's impressive how you recognise the niche for diverse and relatable characters and took the initiative to self-publish your books. Your story is a testament to the power of self-publishing and the importance of continually seeking knowledge to achieve success. So that's great. And lots of people saying how much they enjoyed that interview. I know how many of you write kids' books and children's books. So I'm always, um, you know, interested to talk to people who write those since I obviously don't myself. Uh, Laura commented about my introduction last week. Morning from North Carolina. Your commentary on Amazon and the state of author business models is so well expressed and full of conviction. I loved it. And I sure hope your prediction of Amazon deciding to kill Goodreads comes true. I have wished it for years. (laughs) Uh, I also want to mention... And on the interview with Steph Pajonas about using AI tools at Technoshaman001 on YouTube said, as someone with disability, AI has finally given me my voice. And that is great to hear. And there were loads more comments and uh, thoughts on that. And yeah, it's always brilliant when we can find the tools that really help us create the things we want to create in the world. Um, yeah. And then Shirley Day says uh, at right stuff today says listening to the show loving the idea that writers have to become more personal because everything else can be faked absolutely and um, yeah that will go on so yes on social media I am back on x (laughs) I was just I just was not enjoying threads I mean and that's played out in the numbers that threads is getting i know some of you have also said oh here's a blue sky invite uh, come on over to mastodon or whatever <sighs> i don't know i'm just <laughs> just not inspired really with social media at all so i'm back on x and i also get lots of information on ai from x so i'm not really putting out that much but yeah I am there. So you can (laughs) X me or message me on X, whatever the language is. You can leave a comment on the podcast show notes at thecreativepen.com or on the YouTube channel or email me, send me pictures of where you're listening, joanna at thecreativepen.com. I love to hear from you. It makes this more of a conversation. So today's show is sponsored by Pro Writing Aid, because however you choose to publish, whether you go direct to readers or you go self-published or you want a traditional deal, you need to make your book the best it can be. It is one of my absolute must-use tools in my writing process. 
I am so looking forward this week. I will be taking Writing the Shadow through Pro Writing Aid. And basically what I do when I'm finished my entire draft in Scrivener and I've turned all my flags to yellow, which is how I know I'm finished the draft, I will then open Pro Writing Aid, Pro Writing Aid on my computer. I will open my Scrivener project and I will work through each of the chapters. Um, I don't accept all the changes, of course, but it helps me find lots of problems and helps me think about it. Then I, and of course it integrates with Word and other writing software as well. Then I um, go back into um, Scrivener, I, I print it, I export it, I print it, I hand edit it, put all the changes back in. And then I run it through Pro Writing Aid again before I send to my human editor, Kristen, who's also been on the show. She's a real human. Now, Pro Writing Aid knows all the rules of editing and helps you apply them. And of course, as I said, you don't have to make all the changes. It just helps with making your writing more active. You can find repeated words, find words you could improve. You can improve sentence structure, grammar, punctuation, as well as typos, spacing problems and more. So why use software to help you? Why don't you just learn all the grammar and writing rules and apply them yourself? Well, we all use tools to improve our process and we are also often blind to our own writing issues. It helps to have another pair of eyes, even if the eyes are software. And I would rather pay my editor to fix the things that software can't. As brilliant as Pro Writing Aid is, it cannot read my book as a whole. It cannot comment on the bigger issues. Um inconsistencies, plot holes, misunderstandings, that kind of thing. So I use Pro Writing Aid as my essential editing tool before sending to my human editor. So you can check out the free edition or get 25% off the premium edition by using my link, prowritingaid.com forward slash Joanna, J-O-A-N-N-A, that's prowritingaid.com forward slash Joanna. This type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating the show and my extra in between episodes is sponsored by my patrons. And this week I sent out a patron video on how to use Midjourney for images. And lots of people found that useful. You can get that if you support the show on Patreon. Thanks to new and returning patrons this week. Madeline J, Ian Harkin, Robert Scott Norton, Jesse Anderson... Dale Sale, Breezy, I think that's Breezy or Breezed, and Christian Birch. You can support the show for just a few dollars. Um, I'm moving to monthly billing, so it will be even easier to know how much that's going to cost. You can support the show at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the creative pen. And yes, I'm going to be doing a lot more with my patrons, hence the uh, extra videos uh, over time. So let's get into the interview. Joe Solari helps authors build great businesses through books, courses, podcasting, as well as strategy and operations consulting. He is the author of Advantage, Harnessing Cumulative Advantage in the Winner-Takes-All Publishing Market and May I Have a Moment of Your Attention, How to Get Your Message Heard in a Noisy Market. So welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks for having me on, Joanna. This is great. 
Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. As I mentioned before we started recording, we've kind of circled around each other online for years and I'm so glad to finally talk to you. <laughs> yeah, there's been some near misses like, oh, we may be at the same event and then COVID comes. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> <knows>? absolutely. <laughs> but for those of you, for those people who might not have heard of you, tell us a bit more about how you got into writing and business for authors. Sure, sure. And you know, the funny thing is, there's nothing you could ever done to like prepare yourself for what I do today. Like this didn't exist 10 years ago. And so it's funny to kind of look back and understand the process. So my background, I've got a undergrad in art from the school of the art Institute of Chicago. So I've got a creative background. I've got a master's in business administration from university of Chicago. So I have this strange mix of creative and analytical And I've been entrepreneurial my whole life. So I've owned and operated multiple businesses. And what specifically got me into publishing was my wife decided to write some books, nonfiction books about styling. At the time, I was really busy with a startup business in the oil and gas industry. So I was like completely not even thinking about books. And she was having issues. This was like 2013, 2014. So you remember how fun it was to try and get a book uploaded or do anything on these platforms. She had some technical issues. I came in to help. And when I looked in her KDP account, there was $4,000. I'm mm. like, oh, this is interesting. From a book about t-shirt and jeans to make $4,000 in a month, I need to know more about this. And I started listening to your podcast and I started listening to Mark's. It, you know, It's interesting thinking back then, there wasn't a lot of stuff that I could find that wasn't most of the good stuff was actually coming out of the UK, people that were really kind of the leaders in the self-publishing piece. So that was where I was learning. And then when I sold that business, I decided to write a book because if my wife could, why couldn't I? And (laughs) it was a book about business for creatives. And like most nonfiction books, it didn't sell a whole lot of the copies I did sell. It seemed like most of them were to this group called 20 books to 50K. And I had (laughs) authors reaching out to me, asking me questions. It was, uh, so I went into this group and at the time, I think they were about 7,000 people, which was huge, right? They're 10 times that now. And I started helping them answer business questions. And where the real magic of what I do today happened was at that first 20 books. So I went to that conference. I was asked to speak there and I saw this opportunity of there was authors that were making a lot of money. I I had no idea that a fiction author could make that kind of money, but they didn't even have the basics of business strategies or or structure set up. So there were very tax inefficient. There was liability exposure. There was all kinds of things that me as a business person just made my skin crawl. So I picked up the phone. I was standing in Samstown and I called my old business partner, Lisa, who's a CPA. And I said, I'm at this conference and this is what's going on. There's this, this amazing opportunity. I feel like I'm sitting on courtside for this amazing thing, this golden age of content unfolding in front of me. And I think we could help these people by helping them organize their businesses. And she's like, well, I'm up for it. And I came away with three clients. And so today what I'm doing, uh, the bulk of the work is Lisa and I are helping authors that are very successful to be better in how they operate their business and understand why this is a big part of this is 
why are they doing what they're doing today? Not just like what their love for writing, but like once you get successful, really understanding what your goals are in your life, not using the goals of the industry, but like what's going to get you up every morning to really work on that business and write those books. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. And I also, well, I came, I, I was actually in oil and gas. My last consulting job was with a, a mining company, but I also worked at gas companies in Australia. So it's kind of funny that we had that little intersection, but I also came out of business 13 years IT consulting. And mm. I arrived as well in sort of uh, 2008, I started, but you know, really when Indy started taking off, I was really quite shocked by how little business information and knowledge there was in the industry. But what's so funny is I also published a book called Business for Authors and nobody bought it. Nobody. <laughs> like maybe yeah. 10 people bought that book. So it's funny that you also wrote the same book. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I sold it to the other six. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe they bought both of our books. Yeah, but they what's... probably bought both. It's, we probably that... duplicated the market. Yeah, I'm sure we did because mine also covers things, you know, just covers things that you would get in like an MBA. And then what I realized is that many authors don't want to run a business. So I actually repackaged some of that information and rewrote it as how to make a living with your writing, which is one of my top selling nonfiction books. So what's so interesting was reframing things from running a business to making money. You and I would think, okay, that that seems quite similar. But so this is where my question is, which is, I have found that most authors, they want to write, they want to make money, but they don't want to run a business. <laughs> and so yeah. I wondered, do you see that some people are just not suitable for business? Or is this something that you think every single person can learn? Yeah. So what I've observed being around this, I think one thing is there's this kind of mythology that like, oh, well, if you're a creative, you can't be good at business. And actually, that's completely wrong. Creativity is a huge part of entrepreneurship. You're taking something that doesn't exist. It's it's ideas in your head and you're turning it into some type of solution or entertainment for people that they're prepared to give you cash for. You're manifesting physical things into the real world from your creativity. And you just happen to want, you know, you're doing it because one of the things is you want to get paid. Right. So that's a very creative process. So I think one thing is just a mindset change of like, no, actually the best entrepreneurs are people that are creative. Then there's, well, I just don't like all this number stuff and these things. Well, you have to look at that stuff as just kind of tools in a toolbox that even if you're weak in, if you get some level of strength, you're going to be a lot stronger. And you have to do this if you want to make money from your writing. Right. Like if you just want to write a book because it's in your soul and it needs to get out in the world and you don't care about selling it, you don't have to worry about the commercial aspects of your business. But once you set that framework of, I want to make, I want to make a living from this, whatever amount that is, right? Like then you have to start doing this. You've made a decision. You've started a business. You can't deny that fact because you're expecting to bring money in and then you're going to have expenses and things you're going to have to pay and have a profit. So you can't not do it. It's, it's, it's part, it's inherent to the whole thing. When you start to think about how some of the stuff that I talk about, how those tools help you, then you become more successful. And maybe that I should put it a different way. Not that you're going to be more successful, but you're eliminating a lot of the risks and the things that wipe out businesses because the number one 
reason that most businesses fail, and this isn't just author business, this is across the board, is they run out of money, right? So what if you solve that problem, right? right? What if you thought through budgeting and making sure that you had the money to publish the books you want to publish, make require you to save more money or take money out of your 401k or superannuation, whatever it might be that you have to do to do that. But like those become business decisions that make your chance of being successful in publishing higher. Yeah, I totally agree. And as you were talking, I was like, he's going to say cash flow. And yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and cash flow is, I mean, like just earlier today, I paid some taxes and was working with my accountant for last month's accounts. And it's like, these are just things you do. And if you don't do them, then it is a hobby, basically. And even if you're traditionally published, you still need to know these things because there's still money involved and you don't want to end up out of pocket and essentially going bankrupt because you can't pay your bills. And it kind of drives me nuts when I hear people who say they just don't want to do any of that stuff because, like you said, the kind of elimination of risk. But also, it's once you set a lot of these processes up, it's not that big a deal, right? It just seems like there's this big hump of knowledge that you need to know in order to set it all up. And then you can just get back to writing your books and kind of plugging it into the system. Absolutely. And the other part of this thing is sometimes authors will think, well, this is kind of an author thing. It's no, it's a small, small business thing. If you and I were decided we were going to start a insurance company selling insurance together, and we might be the two best insurance sales people in a company we were working in, we then decide, well, we're going to go start our own company because we're better than these other people. Like we, we may still be the best salespeople, but now we're also business owners and we have to think about, oh, well, we got a secretary we have to pay and we have rent for our office and we have like the, and we don't have, we were not good in those things. We're, we can sit down with somebody and sell them insurance, but if one of us doesn't have those strengths to manage that stuff, then that's constantly going to be a distraction to what we're good at. Right. Because those things don't go away. Like mm. the landlord will lock us out of our building if we don't pay his rent. The tax man will come and take our house if we don't pay him. Right. Like you can't deny these things have to be done. Yeah. And is it like you said, we are just small businesses. We're not that special. And I think this is a problem. And I mean, let's get into some of the mistakes that authors make. And this is probably the one I would say is that we think we're special somehow and that the rules of business don't apply <laughs> to us. Mm. And the, the yes, we need the mindset of creativity. And I do my affirmations like other people. But when it comes to accounting and tax and business setup, I do all of that in a very practical way. So what are some of the other big mistakes you see authors making in terms of, of business? Yeah, I think the big one we kind of touched on, which is I look at this as, okay, if I know that 50% of all businesses fail in their first five years, then I want to go through and identify all the high risk items and reduce them. And the single biggest one is running out of money. So do you make a budget for what it's going to take you, not just to get your first book published, but to get through seven to 12 books, because the reality of is for your author career to get through its, you know, to its break-even phase and to start making a profit that can support you. That's really how long it takes. Like I've got clients that are netting over a million dollars every year, but when you go back and look, they went through that same period of, they wrote their first book and then they wrote another 
seven to 20, maybe even more than that before they found their voice and found their audience. So like, if you're not thinking that you're going to have to go through that, then you're just unrealistic because everybody has to, right? You have to get your product right, right? Which is the book. And then you have to find the audience that's going to commit to that. And the other thing is you touched on with the cash flow is it's an incredibly difficult business when you think about how the payment structures work, especially if you're a big advertiser. You have to pay that advertising immediately. You know, in some cases, they're charging your credit card every couple of days, and then you have to wait 60 days for that money to come in. Um, that you have to be able to get through those periods and continue to service your whole business, including paying your you the employee. And I think that gets to another layer of this thing, and that is letting go of some of the ideas of success in the industry. Like we throw around the idea, and I'm guilty of this as well, is like talking about being a six or seven figure author. I mean, it's something that it's part of our language that helps us understand success, but you could be a million, you know, sell a million dollars worth of books and be on poverty wages in this industry, right? You could be spending all your money on marketing and advertising and promotion and barely take anything home. But still people are like, wow, look at how many books you're selling, Joanna. Look at, Mm. look at where you're ranking. Well, our model is how profitable your business is. And we have this thing we call author royalties kept. So it's the idea of how much you take home out of every dollar. So most authors, businesses that I've looked at, and I've looked at a lot of big authors, they'll be somewhere around single digits to maybe 15 cents on the dollar. So 15% profit. Our average in our group is 44 cents. So you don't need to sell as many books and you make a lot more money when you start to design a business around the idea of profitability. And maybe I don't sell as many books, but I'm not just exchanging dollars for advertising dollars, right? I'm really focused on different metrics in my business around profitability versus top line sales. That's Mm. a big one for me. Yeah, me too. I mean, I've always been more interested in the profit, but we're going to come back on that. But I just want to circle back to when you talked about the seven to 12 books Mm -hmm. to write those and that people have this unrealistic view of, and I still hear it all the time, you know, write, write a book and get a book deal or it hit the charts and make a million and retire. I remember thinking that myself when I wrote my first book, that's what I thought would happen. But I mean, the seven to 12 books model, I think you're talking more about fiction. The nonfiction model can be fewer books, but adding on other services or speaking or courses. So I feel like there are actually, the models are quite different for fiction to nonfiction. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I I think it's funny because I'll I'll get people that are writing a nonfiction book um, and they'll come to me because they know the business I'm in and what I can do. And they'll be like, well, how can I make this book like a number one bestseller? And I'm like, well, let's start, let's change the premise of this whole thing. And like, what do you want? What is it the objective of getting this book out? Because if it's trying to get to be number one in the Amazon store, that's going to be really tough, especially when you know that you're <laughs> like, maybe you could pull it off in a category, but when you think about nonfiction versus fiction, and I explained to them, like, here's my clients have, you know, lists with 
a hundred thousand names on them. They've sell hundreds of books. They've got massive audience and they're going to be launching on the same day you do. So if you think you're going to beat them in the store on that day, you're crazy. But what do you want to do to get busy? And then they'll say, well, really what I want to do is I want to show that I'm an expert and I really want to get speaking engagements or I want people to see that, you know, I think about financial services in a different way and I want to manage their money. And it's like, oh, well, see now that's what we want to do is we want to use the book as a funnel to bring those people into your world because Amazon really is just a search engine. It's the third largest search engine. We just happen to think about it like a store, but it's actually really a super archaic search engine <laughs> that we have our credit card information in and we tend to buy stuff there. So now you have a new platform where people can find you and your book, if it's done right, is going to show you that you have this expertise in the space and that you have a solution. In my case, I always say that you should give them the DIY solution there. It's like, here's how you do it yourself. And then it becomes a funnel for the people that are like, yeah, well, you told me how to do it, but I want you to do it for me because you really know what you're doing. And I have the money to pay you to do it right the first time. So mm. that's kind of my model. And I think there's things that, some, you know, especially if we start talking about direct stuff, there's things that fiction authors can look into the nonfiction world and see, oh yeah, there is other revenue streams here that I can tap into than just selling a book. Yes. And let's talk about the direct stuff because to come back on what you said earlier around the cash flow problem with ads. So let's say you spend your money on Amazon ads or Facebook ads, and then you don't get paid until Amazon send you the money 60 day at the end of the 60 day cycle or whatever, but you have to pay for those ads earlier. Whereas if you sell direct, so I'm using Shopify now, then you get paid immediately in a lot of cases, which or within minutes, which I just find quite magical. And thus your cash flow is much, much easier. Plus your profit margin can be a lot higher on things like print books. Plus you can do bundles, you can do merchandise, all these things. So this is one of the big trends in the author space right now is selling direct. Now, I've been selling direct since I started, but in a small way. And it seems like many authors are now starting to sort of pick this as a more primary method. So what are your thoughts on the selling direct? How are you advising clients about that? Sure. And most of my clients, if they're not already selling direct, they have really active direct strategies. And I, I'm going to take a little bit of a detour here because I think it's even more important well, that is equally as important as the cash flow piece. The cash flow piece is really significant. And I'll give you some hardcore examples of data that we've seen with people shifting over to direct. But there's another thing that I think is even more significant in the world that we're in in publishing. And that is by going direct, you get a one-to-one -one relationship with your audience. This whole economy is built on what I call the reader-writer relationship. If there aren't writers writing stories and readers that are prepared to exchange money for those stories, none of this stuff exists. There's no publishing, there's no Amazon, there's no ads, there's none of that stuff. That's the symbiotic relationship that the entire ecosystem is built on, right? We're the honeybees that pollinate all the flowers and keep the environment going. The more we cut out middlemen, two things happen. One is the profit piece, but the other thing is you can deliver 
the experience that you want to deliver. And in the end, like books are a medium for an experience, right? Whether you listen to a book or you read a book, you know, you're telling a story and somebody's experiencing that story. And the more that you have control over the things around that experience. So like when they come to your website, you can do things that you can't do on any other, anybody else's sales platform, right? It can be on brand for you. Like it can be all about your characters and story world, whatever you want it to be. You have 100% control over that. And that for me becomes the, the most important thing to differentiate yourself going into this marketplace in the future is how are people seeing you versus other people, right? Oh, you write epic fantasy. And when I go to your website, there's all these cool pictures and things about your characters and your emails come to me. They're written by this old wizard that sees the whole world. And I feel like I'm more and more immersed in that world because for fiction people, that's an entertainment thing. On the flip side, you're doing both, right? With what you have set up. Mm-hmm. On your nonfiction side, people can come there and you can really clearly articulate to them what your brand promises around where you're going to help them, right? Like, hey, I've been doing this for a long time writing books. These are the things that I can help you learn how to do, be a better business person, think of these things creatively, creatively, or some of your other stuff like, hey, I went on this trip. It was really <laughs> cool. Here's pictures. And some people just like reading about those trips. Other people buy that book because they're like, oh, I was thinking about this. Let me read this book and understand like, what do I need to do to be prepared? Like all these things make that relationship better. And that's what your money comes from is your relationship with that audience, right? Like your creative content is worthless without people prepared to pay for it. So interesting. I was thinking there back to when I first learned about the whole internet business side of things. And back in 2007, 2008, there were a lot of sucky, scammy things. I mean, there still are, there always are. Yeah, exactly. There will always be that. But I was just really happy to sort of, I guess, attracted to a group of people in the blogosphere, as it was known back then, which was all about people and the relationship. And I remember being taught that traffic, you know, stop talking about traffic, it's people. And that's something that sometimes perhaps we forget. And you're exactly right. And But uh, I'll tell you what a problem is then for many of us, including myself, being an introvert. I know I find peopling quite difficult. And mm. let's just take one example. When you send an email to a bigger list who are engaged with you, you get a lot of email back. Now, I'm saying this and to people listening, I love getting emails that are wonderful. Uh, There's a lot of other email that is not wonderful, but this is a a problem. It's almost the problem of scale. And one of the reasons I hear people say, oh, well, I'm just going to use Amazon. It's just easier. I don't have to deal with customers. I don't have to deal with the relationship. And yes, so what are your thoughts on that? Because I definitely have this fear, which is if I scale, if I have more people who buy my books, say my fiction particularly, then how do I deal with that? Yeah, I hear this a lot, right? And I'll come at this a couple different ways. So I think if, let's take email, because I think that's one of the most powerful tools you can have for your marketing. And you think about it, what are we trying to do? Well, we're trying to find people who like to read stuff. Well, emails, words. 
and you're an author. You're in the business of writing words. And why do you break out in hives when you have to write this email? Well, it's because you're trying to be a digital marketer. You're trying to be, you're probably trying to get your someplace that you shouldn't be like trying to sell stuff. And nobody likes to be sold, right? We buy all the time. In fact, there's not a a buying decision that I've ever made that I haven't completely rationalized, no matter how insane it is, prior to me spending the money. And I think that's true for especially fiction, people that are avid readers is like more, once they read your book and they've, and the book is what sells future books, they're most likely sitting around like, just go write another book, Joanna. Mm. <laughs> right? Like, and I'll buy it and you just keep writing and I'll keep buying. It's that part up front where it's like, we're trying to get people to, to try that book. And we're trying to get people to understand our brand promise. And if you instead come from that, from the perspective of, listen, I don't, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be very personal in this. I'm going to make this about my story experience. So maybe you create an avatar or a special character that becomes your marketing person. And that could be an actual character that's in your books and make it fun and make it part of your storytelling. Because if those emails just ooze with your creative style and your narrative voice, then every one of those emails gets people to buy in more. Yeah. So for me personally, sending emails is not a problem. It's the amount Mm -hmm. I get in return that is the problem. And the problem of scale as authors, you know, if you have a goal to sell millions of books Mm -hmm. and you also have the problem in inverted commas of dealing personally, unless you then employ people of, but what you're talking about is the personal relationship side of things. So that's the bit that becomes unmanageable. Other people do it through Facebook or social media or TikTok. And that's what I feel is unmanageable for a lot of authors is the need to interact with. Yeah. Well, and I I think that's, I I always go to the quote from Godfather too, with, you know, this is the business we've chosen, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's some things you're going to have to do if you want, the, that goal, right? It's like, hey, I, I want to make whatever it is that I need to make a living as an author. Well, then you need to have an audience and you have to keep those people around. Now, to your point, if you have the high class problem that you have a massive list and a massive amount of people, then you can hire somebody. And even if it's on a virtual assistant kind of contract basis and focus really on the idea of how do I build a process that gets this person to to respond in my voice, right? You have to think about this like, okay, I'm not going to do this. And I need to help this person who is going to do it, do it in the way that is on brand, right? So what like what is my brand promise? What do people expect from my books when they read them? And if you can't articulate that, then how would you expect a virtual assistant to articulate that or execute mm. it? Right. So I think there's some things you can do because that there's two parts to this, right? There's your, it's th- what happens with scale, right? So the other choice is don't scale. Exactly. Yeah. Right? And I think that that's an okay choice for some people, right? The, the other thing I would just kind of, it's, this is a little bit of a tangent, but it's super, super important is thinking that an author business just goes up and to the right in growth is insane. It's just a fallacy. The sheer, uh, it's just a cyclical business, 
right? You, you were in oil and gas or mining. I mean, those are very cyclical businesses, right? Mm-hmm. It's driven by the commodity price. and But in the publishing market, it's driven by multiple things, right? It's like people's interest in certain genres, pop culture shifts, your creative well filling up and drying out, right? Where you are in series, all these things contribute to ups and downs in your business. The idea is quit focusing on the highest high and look at where you establish your plateaus. Like, so after a launch, where do things settle out in your business? Is it higher than it was before? Your business is growing. I I think there's, and this comes from a lot of the marketing people out there is like, well, there's going to be this one launch where things just go and take off and go forever. No, because I've got authors that have had those seminal moments where like, they write that book that brings in a 10x audience. But now the scale's just changed, right? Their base is bigger, their highs are bigger, but there's still highs and lows, right? Mm-hmm. And if you build a business around the highs, then you're going to go back to the earlier problems we we're talking about. You're going to have cash flow, personal cash flow issues, right? Because there's always lows. And we look at the pendulum swing that we've seen uh, with COVID, right? When COVID was coming, I looked at all my authors' businesses and designed a, um, budgets if they lost 20% of their sales, right? Because usually when you have something like that, there's a business loss. Ironically, or strangely, author businesses, because of the shutdown, shot up. Yeah, we all had but a then, really good year. <laughs> yeah, it's like, woo! But then, and, of course, then, it leveled out again, right? Well, the pendulum swung, right? Mm-hmm. And now it's like, I can't sell books. What's going on? It's like, well, everybody's out of their house. They're sick of being in their house reading. Okay. Mm. So they're out. They may just be standing in the backyard staring at the, the sun. I don't know. Like but there are other things they want to do right now. And you have no control over that. And you could spend as much as you want on advertising. You can try and white knuckle this thing and you'll just burn up money. Understand there's ups and downs. Like you mentioned, you were you're in mining. The, those the companies that tend to be the most successful are the ones that are really disciplined during the downturns right? The ones that are, or I should say, really disciplined during the boom times and prepared to take advantage of the downturns. And I think authors need to think the same way. And we're going through a period right now, we're kind of talking a little bit about it before we got on uh, the recording is, you know, there's a kind of one of these big shifts in the market that's occurring now. And the people that are going to get through this are not may not be the ones that are at the top of the market right now. Mm. And that's just how industry works, right? I live in Chicago. Um, Sears, Roebuck was the biggest retailer. And everybody in some respect in around Chicago had some affiliation with Sears. Amazon eliminated them. They're gone, right? The, one time, the world's tallest building was the Sears Tower. It's the Willis Tower now. They may even change its name again. I don't know. Like, like <laughs> to think that that's not going to happen to Amazon's business or your business if you're not de- very deliberate in what you do, in, in my view, is a little foolish. Yes. So interestingly, a few years back now, Jeff Bezos was on the Charlie Rose US show, whatever that is, and talked about how Amazon would be disrupted. And it's so interesting. I mean, we're not necessarily there yet, but it does kind of feel with a lot of the pressures on in the US, the antitrust side of things, the AI generated content. And there I'm not talking about 
real authors who use AI, but there's a lot of content flooding the stores. So it's even harder to be noticed in that big store. The control of the experience, as you mentioned, so you're not just advertising other people's books all the time. I mean, there's definitely disruption ahead. And it's so funny, we, maybe we need to do a show on lessons learned from the mining business. <laughs> the <oil laughs> and gas. But the other thing I was thinking as you were talking is that this long-term thinking. So when I worked in mining, they were looking at mining sites that wouldn't come on board for decades Mm. because it takes so long to generate an asset that will bring you money in the future or that you hope will bring you money in the future. And I feel like this is another issue in the, perhaps more so in the indie author space, because people expect immediate results, whereas actually to have a long-term business that works, you need to have that long-term thinking. So how do you think authors can be like that and and think longer term around asset creation and and business rules, I guess? Sure, sure. So I'll give you a a really good example of this and something that I talk about in my books is the majority of marketing that you hear for authors today is focused on the one-click voracious buyer. My best estimate is that that's somewhere between 5 and 15% of the marketplace, right? So most people are not the kind of person that's going to see an ad on Facebook and go right to Amazon and click and buy and then read through your whole series, right? So just the idea that, let's say it's 15%, that means that 85% of the market, so what's that, like four times larger, you're not addressing unless you build a marketing system that addresses those people. Right. So that's long term thinking is like, oh, yeah. When you look at all the studies, most of those people that do show intent to buy buy something in 90 days or longer in that, right? Whether it's a car or a house or a coffee pot or a book, whatever it is. And I don't have any way to address that because my whole marketing system is about me showing you an ad and you buying that book now. And I don't do anything else. So if I build a marketing system for those other people and I automate that where they're self-nurturing and they're retaining and they're doing things on their timeframe, that compounds in the background. And all of a sudden my business takes off and you're like, well, how did you do it? It's like, well, because I did all this background work to build this system and write all these emails and do these things that help people to understand my brand promise. And I spent a lot of time just getting to to read a free book. And I then nurtured them through my first series with emails. And I did all this stuff that then turned them into a customer for life. So I, I think that that, you know, how often do you hear anybody talking about that? You've been around longer than me. Well, not much in the author space, but of course, right. the, cu- the customer journey is much more commonly talked about in other industries. I mean, even I think course creators, which many listeners do create courses, I think there's more of it there, possibly because of the higher profit margin. I, I think maybe this has something to do with it, is that if you sell, let's say you sell a course for, let's just say $300, right? You can make, even if you're running ads on that, you maybe you're making $250 after you take your cost out with books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the profit, the, I mean, the profit margin might be high, especially if you sell direct, but the actual amount is pretty low. So I think maybe that accounts for some of the 
issues with authors thinking short term is that it's about it's a volume game. And so you think I need to sell a lot of volume. So I need to do this click, 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 as opposed to think longer term. I mean, one of the things I'm being become more aware of with the Shopify direct sales is this customer value idea, which we haven't been able to measure really before. Right. And that, and I think that's part of the problem. This ownership of the data, the ownership of the relationship is something that we've only had at sort of one step removed through email if someone signs up to email. But otherwise, that's all belonged to Amazon and Apple and Kobo and all those other sites. So I think that kind of explains it. But obviously, we need to shift our perspective in order to be more successful. Yeah, I'll give you an example of that. So one of my clients I work with, Jay and Cheney, who's wildly successful science fiction writer, very heavy in KU. And we're pivoting his business into direct sales and an even bigger focus on audio. And the conclusion we came to is we were going to do a direct audio store, audio only. And we uh, built that from scratch. We He had a massive list of super fans and we did not touch that list. We started from scratch because what we des- designed was, hey, we're looking for a completely different customer. We are looking for people that listen to science fiction and are going to spend a lot of money on audio. These are the kind of people that have no problem spending. And we know now from the data, because we're doing this on a direct site, they're spending up to a thousand dollars a year on audio because we've targeted the right people that cost a lot of money and time to do that. We probably could have gotten a quicker result that would have looked cool. And we could have been talking about it at shows if we just took his list and said, come over here and buy direct audio. But what we did is we designed an experience for people that said, hey, if you're into science fiction and you're comfortable doing things direct, here's this solution for you. And one of the things that came out of that is we now, uh, we'll know after the first book, how many books is going to be written in that series. Jeff co-writes with a lot of authors. So let's say we determine after book one, we're going to have a nine book series. When we launch book two, we launch also a bundle of books two through nine, even though we haven't, those books haven't been written or recorded. And we give that as our best bundle discount. So we're kind of like pre-selling the whole series and our biggest customers will one click by that. Like that's what they want. They want, and and because of the technology, we know how to target those people, right? We can see those that buying behavior. And we can say, hey, new series, space opera. It's going to be nine books. You interested? Here you go. Now look at how we just changed the economics of that business, right? Now we're getting hundreds of dollars up front, right? Before we've yeah. even like written the books, we're creating our own advances, and our customers are excited because they know. They're going to have this series that's going to go for a while and keep them. Most of these people are doing a lot of commuting or have a lot of time to listen. So like this, this is the experience they want and they're loving it. I Mm. I think that gets to the heart of what you were talking about of like thinking long-term, like what is it that you can bring to the market and to your customers? Amazon's not thinking about that. They've got their own problems, right? Yeah. And I mean, their business could be AWS and uh, and ads. That could be where they are, or it could just be AWS or who knows 
what it's well right be. now let's be real about this so you're talking about like what's broken like the only thing that's making them money right now is ads i should say it differently the only thing that's growing right now is ads aws is a mature business Mm. They're slugging it out with Microsoft and Oracle and Google. Like Mm. that is not a fun business to be in now. Right. And they've lost some big contracts. So, and then there's their sales piece. They never made money selling product. I mean, I've been watching their results since its inception and the only money that they've made selling stuff, they reinvested in China and India and lost it. So that makes a couple things really hard for us as authors is like, they're going to be very focused on getting more and more people advertising. There's only so much space on that platform for them to sell ads. So are they going to consume more of your sales page? Probably. Right. Yeah. Is that the experience you want for your customer? Yeah. And just for people listening, I mean, I I've been talking about this for a few years now, but I, I feel like things have become almost more urgent as the change starts to speed up, which is at the when I started this, which is why I've always sold direct, even of a small amount of my books, is independence. We're independent authors. <laughs> I mean, so it, it, we're we should be always have been building something that was ours, and so what's happened now is that over the last 15 years that I've been doing this, the technology's got better and better and better and better. There is no way you could have built a direct audio store 15 years ago. <laughs> I nope. mean, it Not even worked. 10 years ago or five, yeah, five exactly. years you could if you wanted to throw a lot of money at it. Exactly. And we're moving into, a t- and also it is getting, e- I'd say it's not easy, as in if you're going to do it yourself, you need to learn new skills. But this is what's so interesting. I really feel right now that I'm almost learning an entirely new business in terms of the products the same. And I've got my backlist, I've got the product. <laughs> but the way I'm now thinking about the direct sales first it's really challenging to shift away from some of the things that have been ingrained in us for the last 15 years of being indie. So I just want to encourage people listening. If the penny hasn't dropped yet, it, it might take a while, but I feel like what you're saying, what I'm saying, what a lot of people are saying, it, it's starting, the ship is starting to turn. <laughs> I mean, you must be seeing a lot more clients who are thinking this way as well. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And so my approach to this is like, like when you talk to any author, it's like, well, you want like all the readers, right? And they're like, well, yeah, of course. I want as many readers as all the readers I could get. It's like, okay, well, you've done a really good job in Kindle Unlimited. You've got that. You make, you know, you're making more money than you could ever imagine there. Those people have a value proposition that's working for them. They pay a subscription. They get the books they want to read. Everything's working there. They are not the ones you're looking to bring on to your direct sales platform, right? It's not just about moving people off. It's thinking about who are the customers that you don't have today that would you could serve there better, right? And then build it that way, build it to serve those people, right? And then the other part of this thing, I think where we get wrapped around the axle in the industry, it's like, well, it's an either or. It's like, no, it's how do you extract the value from the audience? And so maybe the strategy is, for example, the first thing I do is I launch on Kickstarter and I sell my books there and there's a product there. Then I move them to direct for a period of time. Then I go wide. And then the last place I go 
is I put those books into KU and take them off my other platforms. And I like that strategy because what it's doing is it's saying, hey, I think my books are worth, let's say, $9.99. And that's when I'm going to sell them on Kickstarter and I'm going to sell them for $8.99 on my website to give people a deal. And then I'm going to sell them $9.99 over at these other places. And then when I've kind of worn this series out or this book out and I want to discount it, well, I'll go put it over in KU. Because K, you know, Amazon's decided what I'm getting paid over there. And they say my book is worth $1.54. So they're not going to get it until I feel it's worth $1.54. Mm. Yeah. And also, I think part of the setting things up for the longer term is, like you mentioned email, but I've got so many books now. It's, it's having these funnels and the various links. And so things I want things to be on my store for mm. the longer term. But I think the point is what you just said. And I did that earlier this year. So with Pilgrimage, I did a Kickstarter. Then I did direct only for you know my Shopify store for another two months or something. And then I put it out wide. So I kind of did did it in that order, and which is the first time I've ever done it entirely that way. And it, yeah, I made far more money than I would have done if I'd just have released it into the way I usually release things. So, but I guess we, we need to be coming to a close soon, but just tell people what they can find on your sites. And we'll come back to an, a conference thing in a minute, but sure. I uh, I don't want people to think that you're going to necessarily solve all these problems for people. <laughs> so just tell people what they can find on your website and in your books. Sure, sure. So if you go to joesolari.com, that's my website, S-O-L-A-R-I. Um, and there's a couple of things that I think would be interesting. First off, if they go to joesolari.com uh, forward slash AMA, which is the, they'll go to my author marketing audit, which is a free 20 question audit that you rate yourself in these different areas. And these are 20 elements that I think are vital to an author's marketing. When they go through that and you'll get a score, you'll then, uh, if you want, you can sign up for an email and I'll help you improve that score. And what I know is, is if you work on these areas, these elements and improve them, you will sell more books, right? And you'll build systems that are sustainable and address a lot of the stuff we've talked about. And that comes out of these books that I've written. So there's Advantage, which is pretty theoretical, right? It was like me understanding how the publishing market really works and the dynamics of a winner-take-all market. And then attention is really like, well, how do you apply that stuff? So there's those kind of things book-wise. There's some course stuff there to help you do that. One of the things that I offer is if you can sign up for office hours with me, I do those on Thursday mornings. I have a couple hours or even if you haven't written a book, you want to set up a call with me, you can do that. And I bring this up two reasons. One, I've always offered that. Um, two is this is an example for nonfiction people of a way of thinking about marketing differently, right? So I'm on a podcast. I offer people to set up calls with me. And you'd be like, well, why would you want to talk to somebody that's never written a book? It's like, because if I can help them solve problems and succeed, they have a higher probability of becoming the type of big ticket client that I'm looking for. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know this because it's actually happened where I've met with people at conferences or through these calls, they're just getting started and I help them. And I charge a lot per hour. So these calls are not cheap for me as part of the business. 
And then a year and a half later, two years later, they come and they hire me to work on their business. And now I'm charging them that big rate. And how I came to that conclusion is like, if I took that same money and gave it to Facebook to find clients, I would not get the same quality client. I would not get the same prospect, right? So it's thinking about how maybe it costs more, but I get a better possibility of getting what I want in the future. So I think that's something also for your listeners is like, you know, there's hours there to just connect with me and talk about their business. You have podcasts as well, don't you? You have a different audio option. I do. I do. I've got two podcasts, one where I, when I talk to different people in the industry, then I'll put it out. But I have another one that I do. I've got a newsletter that starts out as a paid subscription. So I do them in seasons. So I write 45 emails. It's all on a big kind of story-based topic thing, talking about author business stuff. Those eventually, after they are done with the paid subscription, those get moved out in the podcast because I take that, my actually my assistant takes that and uses a voice to text with my voice and turns it into a podcast. So I'm re reusing that content over and over again in different ways so people can find it the way that they want. Are those all linked on your site or tell people? Just go to the can... site and start playing around and yeah, it's all there. It's the easiest place to to kind of figure out where you're at in your career and how I can help you. There's a lot mm. of free stuff. There's also paid stuff. My biggest caveat is if you're wondering what to spend money on as a new author, it should go to the product. It needs to go into the cover, the editing to make sure that you put out a high quality product. That needs to be before you spend money on anybody like me or advertising or like that's where your money needs to be. Absolutely. So I listened to some of your conversations with Craig Martell. You've been doing stuff with him. And that brings us to the very interesting news that you'll be taking over the Las Vegas author conference, rebranding away from 20 books to 50k eventually. So tell us about that and what you hope to achieve. Sure, sure. So what Michael and Craig created is really special to me because if you remember how we started this, I shared how I created this whole business out of an opportunity set that I saw at that show, right? And I still believe this to this day is like, I'm sitting courtside for this amazing event of this golden age of content creation. We're just getting started, right? We, you know, you and I have been a little, hey, this is hard. That's hard. But in, in the grand scheme, like, no one, there's never been a time like this where people can actually find an audience and sell their daydreams right? and turn it into mm. cold, hard cash. Right. So mm. I'm still like pro get into this business. Right. So I've been friends with Craig since 2016, uh, 15, when I got involved with the group. And then I've always been at that show every year it's been on. I've been there. And all the important relationships in my, in this industry really developed out of that show. I've met my clients there. And then my clients have also met people there that have become either their co-writing partners, or maybe it was helping them get some information early in their career to give them that step up. It really has served an amazing uh, service to the industry. And Michael's running a multi-million dollar business that's it's it's unique in how it's set up. He's got only so much bandwidth. 
Craig, same thing. I've said this to him for years is if he quit doing that show, he would be making a lot more money as an author, mm. but he's had this obligation to do that for, for the audience of, of authors. And so we've been talking about this for quite some time and his health situation has escalated to the point where this makes a lot of sense. And so that's why I'm doing this is to make sure that what I got in 2017 that somebody can come to in 2024, 25, 26 and beyond get that same thing. Right. So it's all in play now. I've set up a company. We've signed the contract. So we now have the contracts with Caesars for those future shows. This year, we're going to be doing the transition. And then in 2024, it'll be a new name. So if you want to know the new name, that's another thing. If you go to authorventuresllc.com, you can actually vote for the new name. Yeah. We're running a, awesome. a survey. Yeah. <laughs> because that's a big part of this for me is I want, while I'm I'm really well suited for the show management and taking the financial responsibility and optimization and all that businessy stuff that I love to do. The part that I want to make sure is uh, in its DNA is the community and the community being able to have the input. So the show is what they want the show to be, right? Because like you've said multiple times here, this industry is, is changes so fast. And if this show doesn't keep up with that, then you know, it's adapt or die in my view. Absolutely. Well, I think it's an exciting change and you've got different skills and there'll be different people coming as well as the established community. So I think this is a really positive shift. And obviously, who knows what the next few years are going to be like. But as you said, I've been doing this so long and we've seen things come and go and change. And so I'm really happy that this is shifting as opposed to disappearing. I think that's a great result for the community. So thank you. I also know how hard, how hard work these things are. So I yeah. think you're bonkers to be honest, but well it, it, done. You know, you're not the first person to say that to me. Um, uh, I've had that said to me in my house on dog walks. I've had my clients say that. Um, one thing, anybody that knows me has spent time around me. I love digging into stuff. I, I don't want to call it a problem. Like that sets the wrong thing. It's like, it. it's not that it needs to be fixed, but it needs to be to that next generation of what it's going to be. And I'm, I feel I'm really good at it. I have the capacity to lead people and to get input and to do that. And that stuff, that jazzes me, right? Like the cool thing about what I do today I can write nonfiction. I can't write fiction, but I get to be working with some of the best people in the industry to create businesses that there's no blueprint to follow. Like we're building it as we go to take it to that next level. That I that gets me up every morning. That's what I love to do. So this is a kind of a, a much bigger version of it. And I think that when you see some of the stuff that Craig and I have cooked up, you're going to be uh, and and stuff that I've thought of and and the the team that's already there, the volunteers have are going to be doing now. It's it's 2024 is going to be crazy. It's going to be it's going to be everything that you're used to with some stuff that's like, oh, of course, this is where we're going. Mm, fantastic. So just yeah. one more time, just tell people where they can find you online. Sure. So for the kind of your personal author stuff, you want to learn more about me and how I can help you go to joesolari.com, J-O-E-S-O-L-A-R-I.com. 
If you're interested in learning more about what's going to happen with the new show and you want to, you want, you can do, there's all kinds of ways to express your interest. If you want to volunteer, if you want to be on the list to get, you know, when the tickets open, you want to speak, you, you know, you want to be at the reader event, you want to help us with the name of the show, go to author ventures, LLC.com. And there's links there to go to all those things. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Joe. That was great. Great to be here, Joanna. It's wonderful to finally get to hang out and talk shop. So I hope you found the discussion with Joe interesting and that you can reflect on your author business. How is your cash flow and your profit, as well as your sales? What percentage ends up in your pocket and not someone else's? What do you need to do with your author business to make it successful for the long term? If that is your goal, of course. And if you want more on Selling Direct, you can find previous interviews and courses linked at thecreativepen.com forward slash resources. So next week, I'm talking about writing poetry in the dark with Stephanie Wojtovich. And it's always lovely to talk about craft with a poet, as well as tapping back into the darker side of things. This also resonates with my Kickstarter for Writing the Shadow. Remember, you can sign up for the pre-launch page at thecreativepen.com forward slash shadow book. This doesn't mean you have to buy anything. It just means you're signed up and ready for when it launches. And then you can choose to support the Kickstarter or not. But yeah, the pre-launch page, thecreativepen.com forward slash shadow book. In the meantime, happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.